Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, supporting the Alberta Premier. Justin Trudeau should butt out. He should let parents raise kids and let provinces run schools and hospitals. Conservative leader Pierre Polyev lashes out at critics of Alberta's recently proposed transgender policies, calling them an attack on Danielle Smith and on parents. Coming up, we'll speak with former Calgary Mayor Nahid Nenshi, who says the proposals will harm Alberta children. Also... We continue to be cohesive as a collective support for Ukraine. As the Trudeau government continues to show its support of Ukraine, we'll examine a new poll that says a growing number of Canadians think enough money has already been spent. And... We know that many Canadians are struggling to make ends meet. More money is announced to support low-income renters, but is the government doing enough to help Canadians struggling with housing? This is Primetime Politics. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Serapio. The Conservative leader came out in defense of the Alberta Premier today, accusing the media and the Trudeau government of demonizing Danielle Smith and the transgender policy proposals she unveiled last week. A set of rules that include the following. The prohibition of hormonal treatment for children 15 years of age and younger. The requirement for parental permission for hormone therapy for anyone who is 16 or 17 banning top and bottom surgery for anyone under 17, banning transgendered women from women's sports leagues, and requiring parental permission before any student younger than 15 may use a different name or pronoun from the one they had at birth. Take a listen to what we heard from Pierre Poliev. You notice that Trudeau has not given a single example of any of the policies that Premier Smith has brought forward that he individually disagrees with because he doesn't want to be specific about it. And that's because he and you want to peddle in disinformation in order to demonize uh, Premier Smith and parents. And Justin Trudeau has spread hatred against parents. He's accused Muslim parents of being hateful because they were standing up for their kids. He's attacked Christian parents He has suggested that parents cannot be trusted with their kids, and I disagree with him. I think we have to trust parents. No one cares for their kids more than parents. Well, to talk about this and the transgender proposals in Alberta, we're now joined by Nahid Nenshi, the former mayor of Calgary. Mr. Nenshi, thank you for joining us. Good to see you again. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me. So I do want to begin here with uh, Pierre Poliev, this argument that those who are being critical of the policy proposals are being anti-parent. What do you say to that? Well, you know, um, I don't spend a bunch of my time thinking about what Pierre Polyev has to say about everything. Um, but it is interesting. You know, I wonder if the man blames Justin Trudeau when he runs out of milk for his cereal in the morning. Uh, when he was asked the question yesterday, he was clearly caught off guard um, and just um, yelled at the cameraman for asking him such an impertinent question. Uh, and then today he had some time to think about his notes. But what is ironic about the statement that he's made is he said that Justin Trudeau has not highlighted what in the 
policy he disagrees with. Well, Mr. Polyev did not highlight what in the policy he agrees with. And if we can zoom in just on one thing, he says it's all about parental rights. Well, in fact, what this policy does is it removes the rights of parents. It says to parents who've been working with their children, who've been working with mental health and physical health professionals, that you can no longer approve the best standards of care for your own child. The government will tell you you cannot do that. And I'm referring to puberty blockers, for example, before the age of 16. They're not much use after the age of 16. So they've basically been banned. And, you know, to Mr. Polyev's point, certainly we all want a world where a child is supported by their family, by their teachers, by their doctors, by their community. But there's a lot of misinformation in what he is suggesting. So, you know, I know he's often spoken about his sympathy for the LGBTQ community, the fact that he has gay family members. He might want to talk to those family members about their own coming out story and understand that everyone has to decide and be supported in who they tell and when. And the policy of the Alberta government is that schools will have to out children and tell their parents perhaps before the children are ready to tell their parents themselves. And every ounce of research that's been done on this shows that that is not good for the child's health. And in some cases, even Premier Smith has admitted, she calls it a rare handful of cases. But in fact, their studies show that there are significant amounts of cases. I've seen one study and I don't have the stat for it, so I, I hesitate to say that it's absolute fact, but it talks about nearly one quarter of trans kids are kicked out of home. And what Premier Smith has said is that in those rare handful of cases where there is abuse, then we'll deal with it via child protective services after the abuse has happened. That's not good enough uh, for kids. And I think Mr. Polyev needs to understand that he can use as many cheap sound bites as he wants about parental rights. But this policy actually takes away parental rights and significantly has the potential to harm children. There is a much better way to move forward on this, if indeed we want to move forward on it at all, if indeed we think there's a problem that needs to be solved here. Okay, uh, you know, I, I did speak with Danielle Smith yesterday, and she says by making these proposals, what she ultimately wants to do here is to make sure that anyone who pursues gender therapy uh, is essentially getting the right supports, not rushing or being pressured into anything. And, and also, she, she does point out things like bumping up child protection. Uh, do you not take any comfort in at least her motivation? Do you doubt her motivation here? No, none, none whatsoever. Um, because if she thought that this was a significant problem that needed to be fixed, then she would consult with people in the community. She would talk to parents and teachers, um, and she would start a conversation with Albertans about it. Instead, you know, on, on your show and on many other shows yesterday, she was directly asked the question, who did you consult with? And she couldn't answer it because she hasn't consulted with anyone. She's done this based on what she's seen on the internet, done this based on what activists are pushing her to do. Uh, so for example, you know, I think most reasonable people would say, look, I'm really uncomfortable with the idea of irreversible surgery on someone before they're 18 or older. Well, here's the thing. No one in Canada has ever received bottom surgery under the age of 18 because we don't do that. And in very, very rare cases, after someone has been working with mental health professionals and always with parental consent, because you can't do anything unless you have a minor who is uh, considered to be uh, independent, you can't do any medical procedures on a kid without parental consent. All of that exists right now. And there are some rare cases, fewer than 20 in Alberta, per year where 
Uh, people do get top surgery, breast reduction surgery, but we don't know. There's no data on whether that's for gender reassignment or whether it's for cancer or any other issues uh, that are occurring. But it affects a very small number of people. And the premier knew exactly what she was doing by inserting this into the public debate. It's a distraction. It's a chance for her to get people fired up in her so-called base. But it's been done without any consultation at all. The one example that she raises, a tragic story of an Indigenous woman who feels that she made an error. Well, that person didn't start the process until they were 19. They had two years of psychiatric care and then had the surgery at 21. Um, maybe that was the wrong thing, but Premier Smith's proposals would do nothing for that situation. And you, you mentioned the activists more than once being pressured by her base. You know, for, for people outside of Alberta, why do you think? What's the motivation here for the Premier? I, I hate to be cynical about this because I've known the Premier for 30 years. And in fact, uh, I said on the weekend that a year ago I was at a high school in Calgary and I was asked by a student who was presenting as non-binary, you know, do I need to be scared to live here in Alberta? And I said, look, Danielle Smith is many, many things, but I've known her for 30 years. She's not a hater. She often talks about her own non-binary family member. She's not going to come after you and your friends. You can be safe here. And she did. And I don't in my heart believe that she wants to harm kids. I, I'm certain she does not. But I think she's done the political calculation and realized she's got a leadership review coming up. She's got people, right-wing activists, who say they control her. Maybe she's scared that they do. Maybe she doesn't want to take a stand against them. But, you know, if, for example, those right-wing activists said, you know, we hate Muslim parents or we hate Jewish parents, she wouldn't act against them. But, you know, she's done the calculation that this is a relatively small group. She feels like polls are on her side. She's going to be okay. And my argument to that is, look, polls don't decide human rights. Human rights are minority rights for a reason, and you can't do them based on public pressure. You know, I'm quickly running out of time here, but I have to ask you, because you, what you're saying right now, the, the passion with which you bring with it, you made an impassioned speech over the weekend in a protest against these policy proposals. And that is raising speculation about your own political future. Are you going to run for the provincial NDP leadership? Well, you know, I wish I could say, as some uh, conspiracy theorists are saying, that, you know, I planted that speech to start off a campaign. You know, sadly, I don't have that kind of control over Danielle Smith to be able to announce such a hateful policy just as politics are going on. The answer is, look, I haven't contemplated a return to politics. I've got a good life. Um, but a lot of people have been calling, a lot of people have been asking, a lot of people have been saying, look, you're the right guy to take the, to, to use a term, to take back Alberta uh, from this government that doesn't represent us. So I'm, I, I, I know this sounds like a dodge, but it has the benefit of being true. I'm listening to a lot of pitches right now, and I'm going to take a few weeks to think about uh, whether this makes sense, whether this is good for Alberta, and I'll probably have something to say uh, at the end of the month or the beginning of March. Okay, well, we'll call you. Uh, until then, uh, Nancy, thank you very much for the time. Thank you. We are approaching the two-year anniversary of Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine. In the early morning on February 24, 2022, the Kremlin ordered a full-scale attack, launching simultaneous air and ground operations, undertaking the largest military invasion of a European country since World War II. Now, since that day, hundreds of thousands of lives have been lost, and Ukrainians are still fighting Russian forces to this day. 
Canada has stepped up, investing billions of dollars in Ukraine's war effort. But according to a new poll out today, many Canadians think it is time Ottawa stops. A stark contrast from the resolve we heard today from the federal government. Our role will be to continue to stand up for the principles that we began with in support for Ukraine. That set of principles included ensuring that we stand up for the international rules-based order that has maintained the peace since the Second World War. And that also means listening to many communities within Canada who very much still support the Canadian effort to provide aid to Ukraine of all that's sorts. It, that's it for today. Thank, thank you. Well, joining us now is Shachi Curl. She is the president of the Angus Reid Institute, which conducted the poll on attitudes regarding Canadian support for Ukraine. Shachi, good to see you again. Thanks for having me, Michael. So here we are uh, approaching the two-year mark of this invasion, and your poll is really tracking the significant increase in the number of Canadians growing tired of supporting Ukraine. Now, you phrase it as uh, Canadians who say this country is offering too much support. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about that? Well, the question in itself gave Canadian respondents uh, an options, a series of options. You know, in terms of the support that we've offered you, Ukraine, has it been too much, too little, the right amount? Are you not sure? You know, do you have an opinion on it or not? Uh, and so that too much versus too little number was really what we were trying to uh, re-measure because it's a question we've asked in the past and we've really been asking that question um, uh, since the beginning of hostilities. And it's followed up by uh, a series of questions about actual things that Canada has done or others have argued should do in terms of offering that support. So everything from sending aid to um, to sending lethal weapons, military training, et cetera, all of these things have been factors. And then broadly, you just want to sort of get that that broad question, um, you know, is it too much or too little? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Too much, too little. And we're looking at a graph right now because you've also broken this down uh, into political parties because you say that in terms of the, the be, uh, doing too much, more conservatives are, 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 are saying that than any other party. Can you break that down for us? Yeah, for sure. So we, we do see a split along political lines. And, you know, politics is a pretty significant analysis that, that we look at through, you know, a lot of lenses when it comes to what's happening uh, with climate policy, with foreign policy, with all sorts of things. And certainly there is a political story to be told. You know, go back two years or even last year when you see a very united parliament and MPs of all stripes saying, we support Ukraine. But of course, we saw uh, last fall uh, the Conservative caucus uh, voting against that Canada-Ukraine trade agreement. And I think uh, many Canadian observers were left a little bit wondering, like, huh, what's up with that? Well, part of what's up with that is the fact that 43% of Conservative 2021 voters, past Conservative voters, now believe that Canada is doing too much for Ukraine. It's important to note that you see that across the political spectrum, but in the case of past Liberal voters, it's gone from 5 to 10%, so it's doubled, but 
doubled from 5 to 10 percent. Uh, in the case of NDP voters, it's doubled from 5 to 12 percent. In the case of conservative voters, it's gone from 19 to 43 percent. 43 percent is a really significant segment. It's not the majority of conservative voters, but it's a big, big segment. And if you are a leader, if you're a strategist, if you're an MP, it's a segment uh, that, that is conservative. It's a segment you can't really ignore. Okay, so so when you looked at that, uh, Shachi, I'm wondering if there was any reasoning that you could pinpoint here. Is that because of money spent? Is that because of the stalemate that we're seeing on the ground? What exactly are the the, the people who are concerned about the, the, the support being given saying about their reasoning? It's a couple of things. First of all, we know that there's a correlation between the level and the extent to which people are engaged in and dialed in and watching the situation in Ukraine on a regular basis. And certainly after the events of October 7th, the, the focus has been so much on the Middle East so that we've seen people really, Canadians of every political stripe, not watching the conflict as closely. But we also noted that uh, past conservative voters are more likely to be um, watching this, this situation and following news on Ukraine a little bit less. We also know that people who are following the news a little bit less when it comes to what's going on on the ground in Ukraine are more likely to to be uh, a little bit more hawkish and a little bit less, let's say, engaged or, or committed to that sense of keeping up support over the long term, no matter what it takes. So some of this is about level of engagement. Some of this is certainly, I think, there is an element um, that, that speaks to that, that segment of the Conservative Party that uh, aligns and, and, and feels an affinity with, um, with conservatism and particularly republicanism in the United States, right? They're, they're watching more U.S. news. These are folks who, who are more inclined to have a better opinion of Donald Trump than don't. They don't represent the entirety of the conservative base. We have to be really clear about that. But they're a segment of the Canadian conservative base. So there is that Canada first aspect of things as well, where it's like, well, why are we even in Ukraine? That is an open debate and conversation happening in the United States where I'm speaking to you from today. But also uh, in Canada, particularly within the ranks of the conservative base, not the conservative party, not the caucus or the MPs, but voters. So a lot of those voters were like, well, what are, what are we doing? Why why are we there? Why are we helping? Um, conservative uh, support bases have always been made up of kind of disparate factions. You've got the small government faction. You've got the the more um, uh, right wing or hard conservative faction. In the past, that that faction has had more to do with um, issues around social values, things like anti-abortion or LGBTQ LGBTQ two rights, that type of thing. But now we're also seeing uh, some of that faction also playing a little bit more in the realm of like what is Canada's place in. In the world. So while conservative voters are, are tend to be among those who, who say, well, you know, militarily, Canada should be out there doing its thing, there is a segment of those folks, but there's also a segment who are increasingly a little bit more domestically focused and saying, well, what, what are we doing and what is Canada's role and should Canada have a role? And you're seeing that, I think, come through a little bit. Well, without a doubt, uh, when I saw the release this morning, it raised my eyebrow. Very interesting to talk to you about this, uh, Shachi. Thank you. And uh, good to see you as always. Nice to see you. Thanks, Michael. Time now for a look at what happened in politics today. 
Conservative leader Pierre Polyev is defending Alberta Premier Danielle Smith and her approach to transgender youth policies. He made the announcement in Montreal while also highlighting his plan for addressing auto theft. Trudeau has not given a single example of any of the policies that Premier Smith has brought forward that he individually disagrees with because he doesn't want to be specific about it. And that's because he and you want to peddle in disinformation in order to demonize uh, Premier Smith and parents. I think we have to trust parents. No one cares for their kids more than parents. And that's why Justin Trudeau should butt out. He should let parents raise kids and let provinces run schools and hospitals. Meanwhile, Premier Smith was in Toronto today to meet with the Ontario Premier, Doug Ford. Canada is sanctioning nearly a dozen militants, including senior leaders of Hamas, in response to the October 7 attacks. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie made the announcement today, which bars Canadians from having any financial dealings with them. Let me be clear, Hamas is a terrorist organization and they will be held accountable. Uh, for their terrorist attacks. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh says if Liberals do not meet the March Pharmacare deadline, their deal is over. The two parties agreed to table a Pharmacare framework legislation by the end of last year, but extended the deadline in December. I want to make it clear to the Prime Minister this is serious. He has failed on Pharmacare many times in the past. He's promised himself in previous previous campaigns that he's going to move forward on Pharmacare has broken those promises. Now we have it in our agreement and I'm going to force him to move forward on it. But Singh would not rule out supporting the Liberals on matters of confidence even without a formal agreement. Health Minister Mark Holland says the talks are ongoing but the public purse is not unlimited looking at how to uh, make drugs more affordable for Canadians and how to take definitive action, but be respectful of the, the challenging fiscal framework that we're in. We're not in a time uh, where we, we can just open up and spend an enormous amount of money. So there are points of difference on issues like that, but as I say, we're working through those. And finally, two people involved in the February 2022 convoy blockade in Coots, Alberta, pleaded guilty to reduced charges. Both were originally charged with conspiring to kill RCMP officers. Instead, Christopher Lissack pleaded guilty to possessing a weapon in an unauthorized place. And Jerry Moran pleaded guilty to conspiring to traffic firearms. They were both given sentences for the time they had already served in custody. Two other men are set to be tried in June for allegedly conspiring to murder RCMP officers who were policing the protest. Ottawa is topping up the Canada housing benefit, providing an additional $99 million to support low-income earners by sending them direct one-time payments. It is just the latest as the Trudeau government tries to show Canadians they are moving on affordability and housing issues, while the Deputy Prime Minister also announced $100 million for more shelter spaces across the country. We know that many Canadians are struggling to make ends meet struggling to juggle all of their bills at the end of the month, struggling to pay the rent. And that's why we've put in place the measures I've announced today. 
Well, today's announcement is just the latest that we've heard from the Trudeau government when it comes to housing and affordability. And, and to get an assessment of the impact of these programs, we are now reaching out to economist Mike Moffat. He's also the Senior Director of Policy and Innovation at the Smart Prosperity Institute. Mike, good to see you. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, now, listen, you, you've been invited to present to the federal cabinet twice now, once in Charlottetown, once in Montreal, uh, really on the matter of housing. So I want to begin here with uh, your take on some of these recent announcements, beginning with the foreign student program. Uh, the changes announced two weeks ago, really, they're meant to address abuse uh, of the system by some private college players. But it's also seen as a way of addressing the housing crunch. Is that just scapegoating? No, it, it absolutely isn't. That the international student program had uh, run out of, out of control that we've seen in many provinces, most notably Ontario and to a lesser extent British Columbia, uh, enrollments go up much, much faster than uh, housing supply. And that's not to blame the international students. It's not the job of an 18-year-old who wants to come to Canada to uh, fix Canada's housing system, but rather it's making sure that, that our institutions both public and private are increasing enrollments at a pace that our uh, our cities can handle. So the same way that we have caps on permanent immigration, I think it makes sense to have caps on non-permanent programs such as international students. Okay, so that's one policy uh, objective announced. Let's also talk about what was announced uh, just this past Sunday by uh, Christian Freeland, the Deputy Prime Minister, because she did talk about extending the foreign buyers restriction. Uh, that will be extended by another couple of years. How important is that kind of policy to meet housing needs? Yeah, I think overall it, it doesn't seem to be making that much of a difference. So this is uh, this is a, a policy that we've had for some time now, um, and I think it really addresses the wrong problem. That that ultimately our, our issues in Canada is that we our population is far larger than our housing stock, and we need to build more homes. So, you know, I don't get the sense that uh, foreign buyers have ever been much of a, a problem uh, in this market. Uh, you know, the government seems to think that. That the uh, this uh, policy had been been working and continued it on, I don't think it's causing that much harm either. But I, you know, it's I, I don't think it's addressing the root cause. And it would be hard to say that you know since we've seen that policy roll out that there, it's really made that much of a difference to the Canadian market. Okay, so on the one hand, when you talk about putting a cap on, on foreign students, you, you say that will make some sense. This, this other one on foreign buyers, perhaps not so much. But, you know, we have seen these policies roll out. We've heard the Trudeau government also announcing a wartime housing strategy. You yourself, you've talked about the need for this country to adopt a warlike effort. Is the government meeting that call? Well, they're certainly a lot closer than they were, say, a year ago. You know, we've had a number of policy rollouts, including removing the HST on purpose-built rental. And some of the other policies that they've announced are things that the federal government did at the end of World War II when we had a housing crisis. So reintroducing the uh, CMHC catalog of designs, which was a very important tool we had in the 1940s to get more housing built. So those are all very good things. We've had a few other announcements, but there's a lot more to do. And we we see that in our housing start data, that we had fewer housing starts in 2023 relative to 2022 
due to economic conditions. And the CMHC tells us that we need to be doubling housing starts. So, you know, all of these things are pushing in the right direction, but they don't go far enough and they haven't been enough to counteract some of the uh, negative economic effects that we're having from higher interest rates and, and other global policies. Okay, so so what else is needed then? Again, you, you've talked to the government about your concerns. What more do you want to see here? Well, I, I think part of it is is more reforms to the tax system. The GST piece certainly helps. Um, we had a housing crisis in the late 1960s when the, the first wave of baby boomers were leaving their parents' house and, and getting apartments. And back then, we had some very nice um, tax incentives in place to encourage the building of apartment buildings. I think we need to be looking at that. We need to be considering how we build our cities uh, that are... Uh, you know, low carbon and resilient to extreme weather weather events. So I think some of the things that the federal government has done on the uh, on the housing accelerator have been great, but they can push that a lot farther. You know, looking at rules like like parking minimums, looking to build more density around transit lines, the same way, the same set of rules that we've seen in British Columbia. So there's no one single policy that's going to solve this. It's going to take, you know, a grab bag of ideas. Uh, they've already done some of those, but there's a lot further they can go. Okay, so so a, a number of fronts to, to be addressed here. But, you know, when, when you talk about this, Mike, and when we hear the government talk about it, up against the need that Canadians are expressing, it seems that we are right now in this game of catch-up. Will we ever really catch up to the need? I, I certainly believe we can. It's not the kind of thing that we're going to solve overnight. We didn't get ourselves into this situation over overnight. And I think we need to attack it both on the supply and, and demand side. And there are, again, any number of uh, positive supply instruments uh, that we can look at. And I think the government's made uh, a wise decision on the demand side of you know reining back in the international student program, which has had a big impact on our housing market, not just the rental side, but it's also encouraged investors to to buy up a lot of single-family homes, uh, turn them into student rentals, which has blocked uh, first-time home buyers from the market. So I, I think we can, uh, but it is going to take some concerted effort from all three orders of government. The federal government can't do this alone, so we need to we need to see the provinces and municipalities do more as well. Mike, uh, we're out of time, but I look forward to our next conversation on this. Uh, thank you for this. Oh, thank you for having me. And that is our program for this Tuesday. I'm Michael Serapio. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for watching. Primetime Politics will be back tomorrow. But up next, Esther Bejan avec l'Essentiel.